We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022 DraftKings Golf Strategy. How to research. There'll be more on that in a separate show of a full research. And I do my research show every single week for every single tournament. If you want to get in on that, you can watch the walkthroughs and become a member at fantasynational.com to make life easy on yourself. You want the simulator, the ownership projections, the lineup generator, all the stat models, fantasynational.com slash Mayo will get you the 20% off. Smash the like button to the episode, sub to Mayo Media Network, the audio podcast, and in the description, give me your best tip for DraftKings golf for whatever it might be we're going to be primarily focusing on large tournament play or even single entry three max tournaments not really head-to-heads or cash games in this and i wanted to bring in someone other than myself because everyone knows you know i've up money lifetime playing DraftKings golf but not a substantial amount not enough to uh, quit my career and stop talking about it and just playing two guys that probably can do that they are in the content business but very successful DraftKings fantasy golf players first up from runpuresports.com in studio with me teller tambellini what's going on what's going on we're back different style show but this is the style show that i love we talk a lot of picks every week i like the strategy talk a lot more what's the most you've ever won in a single week hundred and well in golf one hundred and twenty-five thousand. okay 
I recall Ben Raza cleaning up at the Masters the year that Patrick Reed won from awesomeo.com. Ben Raza is on the line with us as well. Is that your biggest win in golf? It was. Uh, that was the large field Thunderdome. So I was able to take home a nice chunk of change thanks to old Patty Reed. Well, let's start with this. Where, listen, this isn't necessarily going to be for, maybe we should start. If you're just an absolute beginner, you want to get into it. What do you think, Tambo, is the first thing you should probably know about golf? The rules, the scoring. <laughs> I would say it's it sounds crazy, but it's true. If you go in, uh, it's a big factor to it. And we do the shows every week talking about the picks and plays. But a lot of what comes into it is where we're talking about DraftKings scoring and how that plays out. Someone that makes nine pars may squeak out a made cut eventually down the stretch. If that's how they finish the round, get in, make the cut. But the guy that went birdie, par, birdie, par, and then ends up making an eagle down the stretch and makes the same cut scored a lot more DraftKings points. So definitely check out the scoring rules. So scoring rules, Ben, the first like beginner tip that Tambo has, would you say that that probably is it? Or would it be something like, hey, what sort of tournaments at what sort of limits am I looking at here? Yeah, so I think there's two parts to it. First is, is definitely understanding the scoring, the format, what are placement points, things like that. The second is the structure, like knowing what you're building for. Because if you're trying to beat 200,000 people, and you have 150 max entries, that's a lot different than a, a small field single entry where you don't have to be as crazy. And if you put the wrong team in the wrong tournament, even if they're good teams, you're going to be over under leverage. And that is something I feel like at the beginning, a lot of people don't understand. Can you expand on that a little bit for maybe under or over leverage, which people may not understand? Yeah, so when, when you're playing, say, like a single entry or a small field, uh, I'll take single entry because it's easiest. Everybody only has, you know, one one lineup. So people are generally more conservative and there's usually not as many people. So when you are looking for leverage in the terms of being different, you can isolate or be unique with a pretty generic combination of players, leaving a couple hundred dollars on the table. Some of the guys that are one or two percent owned aren't outrageous made up players. <laughs> then you go to the Millie. I'll just go real quick to that. If you truly wanted to isolate someone in the milli, you would probably have to take a guy who's withdrawn. That's the only way you would do that uh, because everybody garners ownership there. And to be truly unique, you have to do something a little more aggressive. So just understanding how much aggression is too much aggression is a really important thing to know when you're starting to get started. Why is being important different, Tambo? Because I think that we've talked about this a little bit before where... If you're playing NFL, DraftKings Showdown, you're going to have duplicated lineups because right. there's, there's a limited amount of players. And when we talk about this, we're talking about the difference of tournaments. Like in a at the Masters, there's like 90 people in the field. Most tournaments have 120, 136, 144, 156 players with a cut after 36 holes. So you need all your guys to get through to the weekend, presumably, in order to win one of these large field tournaments. I've, I don't think a five of six is ever one before, uh, maybe it has once in 70. Don't count on that happening. You're going to need all six of your guys through. But that's a lot different than these tournaments that have 30 players in them or 54 where there is no cut. The strategy changes, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later on. But in terms of for beginners, understanding both the rules of the scoring, but the rules of the tournament, I think really help as well. But we're not looking... When we sit, talk about being different, it's not necessarily about people having the same lineup as us. Mm -hmm. It's about people having similar lineups to us, which just creates so few paths to actually winning. 
Exactly that. Yeah, you're looking for the opportunity. And that's what we've talked about before, where if you've got, look, you, you, I'm not, I'm not going to be duplicated. I'm going to play these six guys. I know four of them are popular, but these two are going to get me different. Well, there's your challenge right out of the gate. You only have those two leverage opportunities when you get down to Sunday. And oftentimes people that do have a six at a six say, yeah, but I'm blocked into a corner because I didn't have that guy at this price that is 30 points ahead of me. And you're just not likely to catch those 30 points on a Sunday. So you've put yourself into a corner. Whereas if you do get different. You say, I'm only going to have two of these popular guys that everyone else is on instead of going with four or five of them out of my six. The other spots that you have available are where you can pick up that leverage and be different and have those guys find their way to the top for you while others don't have them or at least have a chance to catch up. If it's three versus three on Sunday, that's a battle. And you actually have an opportunity to have your three go up and theirs go down or something along those lines. Ben, people always talk about how, you know, how different should I get? Should I play six guys that no one has? I think that Tambo kind of laid it out that like three and three is usually pretty good. Obviously, there's no correct answer to this. Every tournament's going to be different. Every style is going to be different. Every DraftKings tournament is going to be different. How, where do you come down on trying to make your lineups a little bit different? Or do you make them completely different? Do you like eating the chalk? Do you? And when I say chalk, I mean the most popular, highest projected players on the slate, if people don't know. Where do you fall in the circumstance? So I think, yeah, I mean, I think the easiest thing is if you're on either side of the extreme, they're probably equally dangerously bad. If you're all chalk, we have no path to victory. If you have six 1% guys, you're wildly over leveraged and that's not going to be good. They're 1% for a reason. So of course it flows in the middle. I tend uh, to be a little more aggressive. Uh, sometimes I'll isolate a player or two and say, these are my guys. And then I'm going to have a lot of, you know, rotating three V threes around them. So I just take, you know, little batches of three different player combinations and know that if I get my big three, right, I have a lot of different opportunities to maybe link up all six and have a big score. When we're talking about ownership and trying to determine who the chalk is, what we mean are the most popular plays on any given tournament. And the higher stakes you get and the smaller field tournament that you play in, the higher that chalk is going to be. So let's say the big $20 every single week. And we have a player like John Rahm. And in an average week, John Rahm would be the highest priced player. And John Rahm would be around, let's just give him 23% ownership. The smaller the tournament, the higher his ownership is going to be. Because as Ben mentioned, people are going to play more conservatively in three max entry, in single entry, in higher stakes. They're not going to get as crazy with their lineups where you need that when you're competing against 175,000 other people your lineup's going to need to be kind of wonky if you're going to end up coming in first place in that tournament so for beginners tambo do you think it's better to start obviously starting at smaller stakes and figuring it out is important but would you suggest that they try out different styles of tournaments as well one with let's say like the mini match which is 50 cent it's 50 50 cents not 50 cent he's not doing upside down <laughs> sit-ups or anything but you're going to play against a large field tournament where people can play 150 entries into that tournament. So maybe see if that's more your style or would you go like a 20 max entry? That's $3 that has fewer people in it where people can play fewer lineups against you. Or would you try a three max or a single entry? Yeah, I think everyone's going to say the same thing when it comes to you got to know your goals and expectations and all of that. But in the end, we know why everyone's signing up and they want to play because they want to try and win the big prize and play for big money. So I would say in the defense of that, like, yes, get after it. But I would still suggest starting with something like at most 20 max 
max. Like you can go one, three max if you just want to dip your toes in. But if you're going to try and get to the mass multi-entry known as MME in the streets, and you're going to play 150 max lineups is what you're eligible to play in that, you're going to want to start with like 20 where you can sort of find your, your range and see what you're going to do and how you build. And even I would suggest starting off because this is more for beginners where we're at right now, maybe build like, I know this is not the approach I would say if we were talking intermediate or advanced and Ben talked about it being more aggressive. I lean the same way, but maybe when you start off in 20 max, build like three, a seven, seven, six, or like a five, 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 five in, in sets. Now, what do you mean by that? So five lineups of one style, five lineups of another, where you can start to experiment within your 20 maximum lineups that you can build. You're going to build all 20 of three different styles or four different styles. So then you can start to see what works for you, what you were more comfortable with when you were building and what the results were like so that when you move on to playing at the higher stakes or with more lineups in play, you sort of know what you want to target from a, from a goal perspective. Tambo hit on expectations and people being able to determine that, Ben. People need to expect to lose a lot, right? Yeah, particularly in tournaments. Uh, I mean, I can speak to this. I've <laughs> I've been really close in the milli a couple of times. And when you're not close, you're getting absolutely smoked. It, it's just the opportunity. The, the, the easiest saying, and I say this a lot, I've heard it across the industry, you are trying to just wait, you know, hold steady until you get lucky. You want to put yourself in the best opportunity to eventually get lucky because when you're playing these high-end contests in terms of massive prize pools at the top, to break even is a huge win week in and week out. You're getting lotto tickets, and if you break even in the lotto and you get the opportunity to buy more lotto tickets, eventually you kind of connect the dots, hopefully, and that is always the goal. So the expectations can't be, Every week I'm going to play in the large field tournament and I want to make a profit. You're in you're in the wrong structure if that's your goal. And you're playing the wrong sport, I think, is the really yeah, the well, thing to go into as well. Like in basketball, in baseball, in hockey, you have slates, multiple slates every single night where if you're on like a three week losing streak, you can lose a lot of money very quickly. But at least you can probably round out your process to know, hey, where am I going wrong? Why am I wrong? In golf, you have a different turn. You have a different course every week. Different players in the field every single week. Different weather conditions. Uh, just a whole bunch of different things. Different cut styles. More players in tournaments. Fewer players in tournaments. And it only happens once a week. So what you get in one week of baseball, in order to try to track your sample size to see if you're right or you're wrong, that's two months worth of golf contest. Now, you'll probably lose less amount of money because it only happens once a week if you're not playing weekend slates or daily showdown slates. But at the same time, like you could be doing everything right and lose five straight times. And that's you know five weeks worth of losses. And you're like, where am I going wrong? Am I going wrong? How do you even try to wrap your mind around that? Yeah, and I think it's a lot of what Ben just said and what you brought up with the expectations factor, at least for me, and this is when you've played a lot longer and have the more experience with it like we do, but I think uh, I'm expecting to lose. I'm trying to put myself in the position to get lucky like Ben mentioned, but it's not that I want to lose. It's like when you take your money into the casino and you say, I'm only bringing 200 bucks. If I turn that into something great, but I didn't bring my wallet, so I can't lose anymore. I'm doing the same thing, trying to stay above ground in these tournaments for the spot that I actually hit. Like you said, Pat, though, you don't get the same expectation. You don't get to go every day after after it like a daily sport where you can just get right back in the streets the next night you have to wait till the next week of course showdown is a whole nother animal but it's another way to get your money in on golf but for the weekly stuff like we're talking about and for beginners that's why i said if you're starting off and trying to learn your strategy then you can start to see where that can take you and, and how many chances you're getting at the top based on how you build and whatnot so you'll you'll learn that over time last thing for beginners before we jump into you know, more of the in-depth stuff budgeting if you have a certain budget that you want to play every week, 
what's the best way to allocate that money? Let's say I have, I mean, some people want to do $20 a week. Some people want to do $50 a week. Some people want to do $100 a week. I'm not playing thousands per slate like you guys are. I'm playing somewhere between like 300 and 900 bucks every single week on DraftKings. You know, I got a lot of content to do and I'm not good at it like you guys are. I'm trying to get better at it, but it's a lot of treading water, you know, lose 60% of what I put in, win 20% of what I put in. But every now and then, like you hit that one that covers you for the next four or five weeks, and then you try to hopefully get another one in between and build up the budget that way. But if I'm only playing, let's say I have a $50 budget every single week, does that mean I should throw 10 lineups into the giant $5 tournament? Should I play one $50 lineup? Should I be trying to test out the 50 cent lineups, the $3 lineups. Like, I think that's the part where people get themselves into a lot of problems because they see, oh, there's, I have $50 to play. Hey, there's 250,000 up top in this $20 tournament. I'll play two lineups in that. That's probably not the best way. I mean, it's fine. Like if it is, it's just a pure lotto ticket that you're looking for. Sure. But that's almost guaranteeing that you're going to be out of money within two weeks. Yeah, and I think, like you said, if you're watching this show, you're probably trying to get better. Or if you're starting off, that's fine, as we're talking about right now. You're looking to get better and find ways to do that. I hope that you have more than just the $50. But for the example's sake, we'll say that you have $50 per week to put in. I definitely think you should still be testing it out in, in the streets like we talked about with the 20 max. I do think there's something to be said for you should always be working on your game in the sense of a three max and a single entry. So I would still try and dial those in and mix them into the range of using your $50. And the reason I say that is because there's things again when we'll get to more intermediate with satellites and tickets and live finals and these situational items where you can build up and that's how a lot of people get their start and are able to hit big eventually and build their bankroll from one of those tickets or those hits that they get and if you're not ready for those that's where a lot of mistakes can be made someone who always plays 50 bucks a week finally wins a ticket from the Pat Mayo experience for a $100 millimaker, and then they make a big mistake playing the $100 millimaker, essentially giving themselves no shot at finding their way to the top. If you're starting with your $50, playing 20 lineups a week with that and mixing some three max and single entry, you are being forced to pick one of your 20 lineups for single entry and why you think that would be good for it, taking some of these strategies, putting them into play, which can set you up for success later. So I would suggest always working on your all-around game. Ben Raza, you've fallen on hard times. You only have fifty dollars left. Where do you where do you go with that if you're trying to rebuild? Yeah, so I think you know, as Tambo alluded to, you definitely want to mix it up a little bit. I would advocate taking a small portion and saying like, okay, I, I'm going to make like I only have say ten dollars or twelve dollars, and I'm going to put it into a single entry, something like that, and that's going to be my my main lineup. And the others, I'm going to you know spread that amongst the lower stake contests where. I will say another tip that people don't understand on DraftKings, if you are really just starting out and you can play in, in the 50 cent tournaments, in the dollar tournaments, if you have a certain amount of entry fees, I, I can't play in those. A lot of people cannot play in those. So you're going to be in a different element where there's not as many you know, people who have been doing this for a long time in there. Those are tournaments you want to you know, hone your craft in. The lower stakes games where not everybody is eligible. Let's move on from the beginner phase of all of this, going to intermediate and advanced. We can talk about it like we do normally on the shows, but I wanted to set the base for people that might be just finding this and setting their expectations of what they should do normally. And now we're into the next level of this research. What's actually, what's the most important thing for guys like you or even guys like me? I, I start every week. I go to fantasynational.com slash mayo for 20% off and do my research for the course. I look back at who's playing well right now. I look at the course elements, the field size, who has done well here in the past, what types of skills, not necessarily the players, but the skill types that have done well in the past, the green types. But 
Is that actually as important as things like projecting ownership, tournament selection? Because it's probably not, right? Yeah, I don't think it is at all. I think it, by far it's ownership when it comes down to it at the end of the week. That's where a lot of my decisions are based off of. But to your point, and, why, and we do the content, of course, it's not just promoting from that aspect, but I think it's important to know where you are, what's going on. You talked about it with golf. There's weather. There's situational stuff like a new course this week, for example, if we're talking about certain weeks where you, you do still want to know what sort of course mold we're looking at. Because if you're going to say, and this is where we get a little bit more advanced, if, if the ownership matters, it's because you're saying when you got to Wednesday night, you found out so-and-so was $7,600 and going to be 20% owned. And you just know there's guys above and below him that are going to be lower owned that make more sense as potential pivot plays. Uh, we'll go extrapolate on that further later too. But I just think in general, that's where when I did my research in knowing what the course suitability is like, who makes sense, who's coming in hot, all of those factors help me with those pivots because I say, why would I play this guy at 20% when this guy's doing A, B, C, and D that we just researched and fits the mold at half the ownership? That's where that comes in. One interesting way to look at this is there's guys that you can obviously call safe, guys that are a bit riskier, more volatile, but golf is one of the most volatile sports there is anyway. You have to embrace that. Things are going to go wrong for you. You could even take the example of someone who leads in tee degree. They're great off the tee. They're great with their irons. They're great with chipping. They can putt themselves out of a tournament and miss the cut. Even though they were playing great, that just happens on a weekly basis, on a daily basis when we're talking about golf. So to use your example, a 20% player at $7,600 versus a 5% player at $7,600. You rate them out. Yeah, the 20% guy looks marginally better. You understand why that guy is 20% versus 5%. But Ben, I think the way that you need to look at it, and I think that people do look at it this way sometimes, is the 20% player four times as likely to be better than the 5% player. And the answer to that questions almost certainly no certainly no and you see that in this is where vegas uh and the betting markets come in because if you see these guys lined head to head for the tournament a lot of times it's like you know minus 150 plus 130 like it's it's a pseudo coin flip with a slight advantage to the guy that's usually more popular because they're popular for a reason but i think that you know embracing the volatility and that goes back to bankroll management if you're playing in things and you're you're nervous you're afraid to make a mistake you end up building way too conservatively because you you don't want to screw it up you don't want to go have a zero of six or something crazy and that's really not the way to build you have to be willing to to go for it and, and take some risks because that's truly the only way to break through realistically if you we were playing in these large field tournaments that have you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of players in them is there really that big of a difference between a zero of six and a five of six through the cut not really. No. I mean, you almost always need that six of six. You talked about earlier. There's been like the odd rare time of some crazy weather involved or some crazy. And a crazy 0% winner, basically. But we're not building for that. That's what I think people in, in all sports and all of daily fantasy, if you're watching this, you may play other sports. Just to put it out there, though, to Ben's point to what you just brought up, if you're looking for these crazy outliers like that, and I'll segue it back into the same content we're talking about here, where I think that goes into the roster construction where someone's like, oh, I need the safe guy. I don't want to risk it and play this guy. I want, you know, or they go the opposite route and say, I'm going to play this diamond in the rough and if he just crushes it this week i win no that's not true you still need the other five guys to go with them if you get this gem or diamond in the rough that you think you have there you still need the other stuff to happen it makes it a lot tougher it's really a good example because this just happened to me during the mexico open i played my main lineup and what i mean by that is i made 55 lineups 
threw them in the $5 because that's usually what I do. And then I play a higher stakes lineup. And I usually play the same lineup. Maybe I should diversify a little bit. We can talk through that. But I had a four or six lineup. It cashed. It won money. And what I did at the bottom, I had two guys who missed the cut. My two scrub guys missed the cut, the two $6,000 guys. And instead of using the two $6,000 guys that I felt the best about, who I felt that they were more volatile, I picked the two $6,000 guys that I deemed to be just safer. And they missed the cut. The two guys that I should have played made the cut, who were in all my other lineups. And I lost out on potentially life-changing money because I would have won contest if those two guys had been in that lineup instead of the two quote-unquote safe guys that I played. I guess my point is, Ben, that there is no one safe. <laughs> no, not not in golf. You just have to be... Listen, if you do, I, I mean, I can speak from personal experience. I'm probably on the short list of people. I've had a zero and six uh, <laughs> in extremely high stakes, and I've had some six of sixes up there. It just happens. But as long as you're willing to kind of say, okay, this lineup has a path to victory. And I think the most important thing, I know it's a small window. When the when golf contests lock before any shot has been hit, there are some lineups that are at an advantage and other lineups that are absolutely basically drawing dead. Like obviously the results are dictated on how these guys play, but you can win and lose the tournament on Tuesday and Wednesday. And that's a lot of what we're talking about here. Can you explain that to people that may not understand that? Because uh, at the end of my DraftKings pick show every single week, when we do it with you guys, we're going to be previewing all of the majors like we always do. We do the play the best plays lineup, which is basically the six most obvious guys. We try to build the most common build that there is. Is that lineup dead from winning every single week? Basically, particularly if we're playing in the Millie, yeah, it has... Uh, virtually no chance if it's adding to the 50k cap and there's just no path there's nothing that could happen uh where, where you'll have margins to victory and a lot of it comes with expectations if i build and i say okay this guy's going to be 40 percent owned in this single entry and i build based off that and the tournament locks and he's eight percent owned most likely my lineups are in serious trouble already because i made a big mistake uh, i probably over allocated somewhere else i didn't use that guy properly and things of that nature. So it doesn't mean that you can't win or lose, but there are indicators before the craziness that is PGA golf to show you if you're on the right uh, right track long-term. Well, to give an example of this, we talked about your big win at the Masters with Patrick Reed in that lineup. Can you explain how you got to Patrick Reed in that lineup? Because I'm pretty sure you didn't think Patrick Reed was going to win. No, no. I, as I say every year, I was certain that Rory McIlroy was going to win. Uh, and I built that lineup and I, I had some of the other guys I felt very confident in. But the problem with the lineup that I felt was I really didn't do anything too unique. And I had the opportunity to kind of mix and match some 2v2s. And Patrick Reed was the type of guy, you know, he had some experience at Augusta, not to dig into why I played him specifically. But the thing that I liked was he really upped the leverage. He was not a chalk play he was kind of just in that range of guys that wasn't being talked about. And he fit perfectly with what I thought was a pretty established core. Then it turns out he sucks up all the placement points. And, you know, that was obviously the catalyst. So it's not always who you think is going to win. It's about a puzzle of six golfers, not one golfer six times. Tambo, you put out a thread on Twitter at Totag and Tambo on Twitter, if you want to follow along, about research from around the industry. Now, you look into almost every single piece of content that people put out. How much do you think that content influences ownership? Heavily. 
obviously your show in general, Rick Rungood, some of the guys that are out there that have been doing it for a very long time, it's going to be taken in. Tour junkies, myself with Kenny on the Fantasy Golf Designers Podcast, these things that have been around, people listen to and want to at least get the information. They don't all listen to it just to play those plays, but it does make them feel a little bit safer with those to the points that we were making earlier. Uh, I read it all for both reasons. One, like I said, I think it's very important even when I go to make pivots or to build differently or look at what I think makes sense come Wednesday evening, I still want to know where those spots are to go. It's not just ownership. We'll talk probably roster construction a little bit as well. But on the other hand, I still want to know what everybody else is doing because that helps me pinpoint those ownership numbers that much better. So when I am making these decisions, I can feel stronger about like the higher stakes where like you mentioned earlier with Rom, he's going to be 25% here. He's probably 35% there. And that can make my decision a little bit different based on how I'm building out and some of that leverage like Ben talked about that I'm looking for. Want to change your career? There's never been a better time to become a programmer. And with Codecademy, you can learn to code on your own terms. Over 50 million people already know that Codecademy is the best way to learn code. That's because Codecademy not only teaches you job-ready coding skills, but also helps you build unique projects for your portfolio, earn certificates, and even prep for technical interviews. You can learn at your own pace and get qualified for in-demand jobs. Choose what to learn, from building basic websites to artificial intelligence and everything else you could want. No matter what your experience level, you'll be writing real working code in minutes. Learning languages including Python, HTML, CSS, SQL, JavaScript, and more. And if you're not sure to where to begin, Codecademy will point you in the right direction. Join over the 50 million people learning to code with Codecademy and see where coding can take you. Get 15% off your Codecademy Pro membership when you go to Codecademy.com and use promo code PAT. That's promo code PAT at Codecademy.com to get 15% off Codecademy Pro, the best way to learn code. C-O-D-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com, promo code PAT. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
the point I do want to make too is that I mean we'll use Rom from the Mexico Open where I think he was 47% owned. And you and I talked about it when we did our live show that mainly we just play 75% of him in lineups. Like you want to play John Rahm in this tournament because he was wildly underpriced. There are times where high owned guys, it doesn't make them bad plays, but sometimes you need to figure out ways to get them in your lineup and then make that lineup unique, right? Right. Yeah, that's what it comes down to there. And obviously I understand from the game theory perspective, I mean, interesting your Ben's take, but just in general, like last week you knew he was, we thought like high 30s, maybe pushing 45. And he ended up, believe, I believe 45 in the $20, 50%-ish in the higher stakes stuff. But like, that was the thing. People were like, well, then you have to go zero because game theory says that. But other people said, no, my game theory is I'm going to lock him and have him in 100. And the reason wasn't just because of like that he was the best play at plus 300 to win the tournament. It was as you and I talked about, he had to beat the guys around him and it wasn't safety in the field. It was more like he's likely to beat all these guys around him. And those guys had to do a lot to even come close to catching him by the end of the weekend. And he had to play bad over the weekend. So again, don't want to be results oriented, but I can see why there was two sides to it. What you probably didn't want to do again, it's, there's no right or wrong necessarily here, but you probably didn't want to play like 20% of them where you've got some, but are underweight. He was a bigger decision piece to be out or at least in or heavily overweight. I think that's what Ben, you were speaking to a little bit earlier is that you can lose a tournament before it begins. It feels like if you used ownership projections and you had a good grasp on where Rom was going to fall in that field, you had one of two choices, really. Yeah, I mean, that's the situation when I say that. It's like, if you say, oh, I really like Rom this week and I have three lineups, I'll put them in one. Uh, you know, it'd be one third of my lineups. Well, now you're under leveraged on your favorite guy because you didn't judge that he was going to be 40% owned. That's a huge problem. You're not doing what you're you're kind of anticipating. And I think that, you know, the way I kind of look at ownership, and of course there's more drill downs to this, but it it's not going to necessarily change what I do. It just makes me aware of what I need to do. You know, if, if Rom was for some insane reason not popular last week, you could get two or three X the field with 30% you knew that if you wanted to do that, you literally had to lock him last week. And those are the decision points. Doesn't mean what you should do, but you at least have to be aware of what you want to do or what you need to do uh, to get the leverage that you're looking for on each player. And I think Tambo made a good point, Ben, about it's not that Rom needed to win the tournament at his price point. He basically just had to beat the four other guys in his price range. And I think that's the part that eludes people a lot, that when we're thinking about the optimal lineup or the winning lineup, yeah, if someone in the $8,000 range wins and not John Rom, you're like, oh, well, you didn't have to play John Rom. But that's not necessarily true. No, not at all. It's all about lineup construction because, again, it's six golfers merging as one team. And if everyone else around John Rom got cut uh, and he came in 33rd, to use a, an appropriate amount of salary, which 99% of people are doing, you still probably be in the optimal. It's not what you're shooting for, but it's all about the opportunity cost. I mean, if guys, Rom could have come in fourth, but if Finau wins and another high, high-end high guy in that given week win the tournament or right up there, he's probably not in the optimal. So it's all working in, in you know conjunction with each other in one tournament. That's why it's so tricky and lineup construction is so important. If we speak about tools and things to assist us, uh, in trying to build better lineups. There's a myriad of ways you can go with this stuff. Obviously, Ben at awesomeo.com, a ton of tools over there. At runpuresports.com with Tambo, you guys have a ton of tools over there. I'm obviously very affiliated with fantasynational.com slash mayo for 20% off. But everything d does different things. Like, 
you don't get an optimizer at Fantasy National. It more or less is a research tool to help you build your lineups. You can pick the players that you want in your player pool and they'll have the system generate lineups that way and you can put in rules. I know with both the optimizers where you guys are at, uh, it's a little bit different. Can you explain the difference between those two things, Dambo? Yeah, I think just in general, though, like, you know, you talk about here, the, the Fantasy National, which I do use quite a bit. We talk about it all the time. I'm using it more for the research perspective. I want to find those things out. It's a great way to model out and see what stats your guys hit. And you can then take it steps further. Again, like we talked on the show of, of uh, sorry, um, novice and intermediate or advanced, you can do all that with this tool. You can just get a basic model up or you can take it in advance and do a mixed condition model or break it down. Okay, now we're on a shorter course. Do it by 7,200 yards. But I still want to take this stuff into an optimizer. I think just to talk to the optimizer for a second you brought up why it's so important whatever one that you use is it will alleviate you from having to make those sort of what i would call hand building decisions or those tougher decisions and so when i'm building out my 150 and i've got my player pool based on the research and the decisions i've made let the optimizer do the work in the sense you still have to put rules in and put your stuff that you want it to do for you but you're not worried about like when you're hand building you might fill out the entire salary cap which we've talked about earlier how that can put you in a negative position at times here I can set it up so that eh, as long as I get 49,500 to 50,000, I'll land in that range and be okay. And you end up with some more leverage in those spots and some more unique setups. So Ben, I like to go the other way on it. I like to use Fantasy National because I don't want the computer making my backend decisions for me with players I don't necessarily want, despite the fact that it probably knows more than me and they're quote unquote optimal. But I think that we run into problems with optimal lineups, especially in golf. Because I know that Rick Gaiman, you can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Run Good and check out his channel. He has a lot of cool stuff on this as well, that he tweets out the optimal lineup every week. It's like no one would ever build this lineup in a million years. So should I even be concerned with that? No, that, that's always, I, I get that question a lot. Like, well, yeah, the optimal lineup had 38,000 in salary. It's like, well, you're not building to the optimal. That's because golf is not that type of sport. NBA, it's a little different, uh, things like that. So I, I get it, but I, I think it's just important. You know, Tambo summed it up well. You know, you, you can use that to kind of, particularly if you're building a lot of lineups, I would really advocate for that. If you're honing in and you're saying, I'm building one lineup or three lineups and they're my main lineups, I, I really like to get my hands on those lineups. I like to build them manually. I think you can absolutely do that. But when you're dealing with a large portfolio, you want to let the tools uh, take over and at least assist you because it, it's just a large, large project if you're doing that manually. Yeah, and I just, I just do that within Fantasy National because I don't, yeah. like I said, I don't want the players that I don't want in it. Like I know yeah. the $6,400 golfer that I want to have. 10% exposure to. I don't want the computer pick of that. I want to I want to make at least my own mistakes when I go through this. So to be clear, just to add on maybe a finalized, put a, put a stamp on it with the optimizer, is that's where I think people confuse it as well. Like it's it's not, it's really should be the way you set it up is to get your optimal. Yeah, but I'm not good at setting it up. It's hard. I, honestly, I God, optimizers are hard to figure out. They are. And, and this is why I think there's an advantage and an edge. And if you're watching this and trying to get better, that's why we're doing shows like this. And we put out more content on this stuff. And you guys have stuff at, at Rum Pure sure. on, the, on the YouTube channel. And same as you, Ben. Like, you guys have optimizer yeah. discussions over at Awesome as right. well. But I think this, this is what I say. Like, even people, like, get so, so or sort of overwhelmed. To your point, it's a good point. It's But, like, if you've put in, you've got 30 guys in Fantasy National that you've decided on of this 156-man field. Now you turn to your optimizer, turn every golfer off and start clicking the 30 on from your other side that you want on. 
Now that you have them, you can literally build out 150, even if you're only building a three max. And I call it virtual hand building, where I say, okay, it's all the guys I wanted here of these 150. That one stands out to me. That's really the dudes I wanted together. And maybe you wouldn't have put it together by hand, but now you have yourself a good lineup based off the guys you wanted for a main lineup that you're trying to build. And maybe that's how you select your one of 20 or whatever it is earlier that we talked about. And even going deeper into the settings, Ben, and trying to figure that out when projections are involved, I like to build my own power rankings and see the guys who I have identified, but obviously that's not really how projections work when we're going through that. Like your, your hand build ideas do not factor everything a projection model would put in. But I mean, I am trying to figure out how to phrase this in the right way. Like how much stock do you put into what you think, Ben, versus what the projections tell you? Because the projections by and large are going to tell you very similar things every single week. Yeah, I think that's kind of a, a macro view. And if you can make some small tweaks to them, you, you don't want to start a domino effect because then it's like, well, what's the point? You're doing it yourself, but you know, you can rely on them. And I think that to kind of bring it back to our earlier discussion, if you are using some of these tools for the first time, use it in the quarter arcade, use it in the 50 cent tournament where you're, where you're experimenting and you say, okay, I'm learning and I'm not busting my bankroll. You don't want to just say, oh, it's the $20 milli. I've never done this before, and now I'm just going to try this because most likely there's going to be some growing pains. Talking about leverage like we did a little bit earlier, obviously there's ownership leverage in certain circumstances, but it's not 1v1 like it is in a lot of other sports where, hey, I'm not going to play this quarterback in the NFL because he's 23% owned. I'm going to play this quarterback. They have no relationship to one another. In golf, they can't because both guys can be really good in a lot of times, and there wouldn't be an opportunity cost of not taking one because you could simply just play both of these players if you really wanted to. Because we talked about that too, that instead of just fading someone because they're 20% owned for a 5% owned guy, you could play them together. And very few people are going to do that yeah. because that's just not the way that the numbers are aligning. So leverage in that sense is a little bit different in golf than it is in a lot of other sports where you could even have something like MMA where you could have 80% of one fighter and then like for your other 20% of lineups, you take the guy on the other side. There's only going to be one winner unless it's a very rare case of a draw. That's actual leverage. For here, I think in golf, leverage is a little bit different. So Ben, you talked about leaving money on the table, not using the full $50,000 salary cap. That can be a point of leverage you could have on the field. Tambo, you talked about using guys in certain segments of, hey, maybe use them both together, maybe skip this entire range that's going to be very popular and just construct your lineups a little bit differently. But going back to the optimizer, one thing that I like to do is run an optimizer to see what the most optimal lineup is going to be every week. Not to say that I'm going to play that optimal lineup, but I think that is a good leverage point, knowing that most of the guys that are playing 150 lineups or playing in high stakes or playing in the head-to-head -head lobby, the giant big cash game double-ups, that's about the lineup they're going to be using, right? Yeah, exactly that. And I think that's a great point you brought up. But again, how you can, if even if an optimizer is overwhelming for you, use it to your advantage. And I, that's how I normally start my week. Before I get to my research and plugging in what I'm doing and where I'm going instead, it's I'm what, what is the field doing? And that's key for these big millimakers, like Ben was talking about earlier, the $20 millimaker with 150,000 people. 
an optimizer first click run is likely to tell you what most are going to be doing and who's going to be popular based on that. Now, projections are different everywhere and all these different factors you have to key into, but you can get good ownership projections by the end of the week. And then if you look back to that first run on the optimizer, to your point, you'll know where people are going and how you can get different and leverage can come from different factors than just, I'm not going to play this guy. I'm going to play this guy instead. Roster construction as a whole, where the 9k range is packed with people, guys that people like, and you could say, I'm willing to just risk fading the 9k range and go with a 10k guy and a couple of 8k guys and fill it out in the sevens. You're just doing something different than the rest of the field without needing these off the wall one percenters that you're trying to find that diamond in the rough, like I mentioned earlier. Do you think that's a viable strategy, Ben, of running an optimizer, seeing what the projections tell you are the objectively the best plays by running simulations and being like, okay, well, now I know who is going to be popular. How can I, or at least the type of lineup, because I'm looking at one right now where the, a lot of the optimal lineups that the projections are giving are one expensive guy and five mid-tier guys. But you could go two high-priced guys and all of a sudden you're way different, right? Yeah, you could work backwards. You know, you take the strongest foundation. The problem with the, the you know, play the best plays type lineup isn't that the guys aren't good. It's that they're too obvious. So you take that core... And then you start to construct, okay, well, I have a guy at a similar price range that's one-tenth the ownership. Let me slide him in. Is that enough leverage? It's kind of as Tambo talked about. You don't want to be boxed out playing 1v1s where it's 100 people. Let me do it with a couple other guys. And now you have a, a little core within there. That's how you gain the edge. If you get those guys right, the obvious pieces hit, you're going to be in a pretty good position come Sunday. Let's talk about player pools, because I feel like every time that we do a live chat and interact with all of the viewers and a lot of the players, that this is the most pressing question of, if I am building X amount of lineups, how many players should be in those lineups? And I really don't think that there's a right answer, to be perfectly honest. I think the overall rule of the fewer amount of players you can have in all of your lineups, the better. Based on if you are right that week, you will maximize the amount of opportunities you have to first place. But I know some people that play a ton of people, they do really well too. So yeah. it, it's weird. Do you have any strong feelings either way on it? I do for sure, yes. And because I get the same question all the time, it's often enough where people say, well, I saw this guy won with a 90-person player pool and he won the tournament, but then this week, this guy with a 30-player pool won the tournament, and that's what you just said, Pat. It can happen. A lot of it is a, a sort of bankroll decision. I understand that the guy playing 90 guys often breaks even or comes closer to it more often because he at least has the winner in there somewhere, likely, amongst the 90 guys and finds his way to the top of some of the lineups. But because of everything we talked about on this show at the top, where we expect, and Ben mentioned it, I definitely have have the same experience as Ben with losing weeks where you're going to lose more often than you're going to win. I do want to play a smaller overall player pool. I'll likely have leverage on most of the guys across my lineups. If you're underweight on a few, it's fine by me. But if you, if you're overall getting a smaller pool, the weeks you do hit, you should hit hard and have multiple shots at the top versus when you play 90 guys, you might have one or two bullets come Sunday and people say, Oh, it's so top heavy. As long as one hits, I win. But I want like 30 or 40 lineups of my 150 with realistic shots. Maybe it's only 20, more likely it's only 10, but at least it's actual 10 bullets to get to the top than one straggler that maybe has a way. Do you think, Ben, that people who do really, not necessarily even rake themselves, but try to cover so many combinations of these lineups, playing 150 lineups, are doing themselves a massive disservice? Yeah, I think they just don't feel it. They're kind of bleeding out rather than just getting like absolutely smoked. You know, if you lock a guy or lock two guys and they miss the cut, you're going to lose 100% most likely. You feel that. If you basically come in near the ownership of the field on every guy, 
you're gonna have a lot of weeks where you lose a little bit, you gain a little bit, you lose a little bit. And over time, you're gonna arrive in the same place, but you'll just have less outs at the big time prizes. So I, I fully advocate if you have the bankroll, I get, you know, I have more weeks where I'm nowhere for the sacrifice, knowing that when I do get it right, it might be only a couple times a year, but when I get it right, I have the potential to take it down fully and not just with one team. I could have a multitude of teams in some of these tournaments nearer towards the top. But Tambo, if I had the money to play 150 lineups, I'd just win every week. Yeah. The worst uh, <laughs> worst take of all time. Maybe in, in all sports it goes across the board, but it's because, to what we talked about earlier, a lot of people think that it's they would just go to the optimizer and click the button and play it. And that's where, like I said earlier, about having to actually set up your optimizer, see what people are doing, use some of the tips and tricks we gave you, like Ben mentioned earlier. And if you, like, if you see that the optimal lineup, quote-unquote optimal lineup, is an 8K guy and a $6,800 guy, and you know that everyone's using that $6,800 guy, sometimes it's just as easy as taking the 8K down to 7,500, taking the 68 up, to 7300 boom you've got a unique lineup because everyone's playing that 6k guy with some range you're just balancing it out different and that's where i'm saying you won't get there with 150 lineups just because you have it because you have no clue about the strategy the setup the structure the leverage all of these factors that we're talking about and that's why we say take it alone it's easy to go get it play the 50 cent like ben said if you're still allowed in it go do it that's where you will get your experience and learn what we're talking about where you lose big on these weeks just because you have 150 yeah i think that's really important ben is learning how to lose uh, a lot of the times because it will affect your decisions. Are you okay with losing? Because I think you need to be if you actually do want to win. 100%. And it's, uh, I mean, it sucks. You you start to, particularly in a tournament in a week in a sport where you're saying it's weekly, it sucks to be like, have I lost the edge? Am I doing something wrong? Then you start tweaking your, your process and then you're in big trouble. So it's a very fine line to, you can't just chalk everything up to variance and say, oh, I keep getting unlucky. Well, no, you probably have leaks in your game as well, but being able to evaluate and also say, you know what, I'm on top of it. It hasn't bounced my way, but if I keep putting myself in the position, eventually I am going to get lucky at the right time. And when I do that, it's going to pay for all of this and plenty of interest to sustain me for a lot more tournaments in the future. And I think that if you're playing 150 entries every single week and you've been playing it for 10 straight weeks and you've yet to min cash, it's probably going to be a problem. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, probably doing so, you're probably doing something wrong. You can evaluate <laughs> that. That's just statistically probably never going to happen at the same time. But I do like the, the people out there who do say, well, if you play 150 lineups, of course you're going to win. It's like, then why don't you go to the bank, take out a $10,000 loan and win $8 million. Like, yeah. Is that happening? Work no. over $30 and yeah. play in the cheap one. You don't, we don't want to come across condescending or anything. No, but I think that point needs to be condescended too because it, it, people yeah. are not factoring. Well, what if you don't win week one? That's hey, you're just I mean. down 10,000 bucks. You're done. That's what I'm trying to, I think that, and Ben made a good point. I'll talk about too, just quick, like mentally strong. You need to be mentally strong to play DFS in general like this, because like, I, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm numb to it or sound the wrong way, but I'd say like, I, if I play to win, I know that I could lose all this money that I'm putting in this week, but I know that's not going to affect my bankroll to be able to play the rest of the season. I know I've already won enough to technically cover my season. So it feels good when you can have that happen. But if not, you got to play within your means and you have to play with a mental strength that you just know you can lose it all. And just know that if you're building 
building accordingly, your chance will come. To your point, you should always be analyzing your game. I don't know, for me, Ben probably does the same, but after every week, because I play so much, I do go in Sunday night right away. Monday morning, I'm, I'm analyzing what happened, what did I do, was it my fault, was it this? Again, you can't control everything, but you can look at some things that you did and learn from it to try and get better for next time. I take tons of notes, iPhones notes app, I have paperwork around my office, things like that, where I'm learning this stuff so that I have it in future reference for the following season, because it is yearly that we're coming around to this thing. If you want to stay in the game and play competitively, you have to be on top of it. You have to almost be obsessed with it and then mentally strong to deal with those losses. I can tell you some mistakes you can make. Like when you have one really good week, Ben, and you're like, well, I can't be beat. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up. I'm used to playing $200, $300 a week. Now I'm just going to play 1500 bucks this week because I had a good week last week. Uh, turns out, uh, don't do that. Trust me on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's round upon. Push it to the limit. Scarface style. It's, uh, you know, I, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with celebrating a win and saying, I have an opportunity now to play in something I've never played in before. But you have to understand, okay, that was a one-time thing. That was, you know, kind of uh, a celebratory thing. And then you get back to the work and, you know, there's, you got to be flexible. The other question I get along with how many players is how much should I be playing? Should I play the same every week? And I don't think there's a right answer to that either. There are weeks where I really like the pool. I'll rev it up. There are other weeks where I say, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I'm going to play a more condensed core and maybe I'll bet some things. I'll, I'll allocate some of my money elsewhere and get exposure to PGA, but maybe not in, in this tournament. I'll play more showdown or something. So there's a lot of ways you want to be flexible uh, when you're building because not every week is the same. If we were to do a rule of thumb, if people just wanted like an idea about player pools, if you were playing five lineups, 10 players maybe? Because I play so many, it's easier for me to talk about like the 150. Okay, well, so let's, uh, let's work our way down because I usually play either 20 or 50 lineups. And generally speaking, I try to have like 15 players for 20 lineups. And for 50 lineups, I go anywhere between like 18 and 25. And I try to keep it near the 18, but I can't help myself. Yeah. I, I like 30 to 45 on like a max 150 where I'm putting it in because then I can mix and match around that. I usually go to a max of 60% ownership on one given person or one golfer, I should it, say. Unless like, there's weird circumstances. Unless like the ROM situation at the Mexico Open since we're referencing that where, you know, I had I think 75% thinking he was going to be 35 to 40. Ended up 50 and I actually didn't have that much leverage could have just locked him but I just I don't like to go all in like that I thought I would still have decent leverage but for most cases it's that now I do agree with you but like Ben said earlier it's kind of a another thing that I get a lot or brought up like someone oh I had I had 33% of them oh how many lineups did you play oh, I was in the three max I put them in one it's like that you didn't really don't even care at that point about percentages I would have went with a tighter pool there though but then it becomes a bankroll decision or a personal decision on do you just want to lock a few guys in your three max or do you want to go two in this to like A, B, B, C, A, C. That's, and, and you know what I mean? That's where people try and get a little bit more balanced. That's what I do in three max, Ben. Yeah. I, don't, I very rarely play the same guy in all three lineups, but I'll play the same guys in two of three lineups. Yeah, yeah rotating like 66 and a, you know, two thirds percent. A lot of people do that. I don't think, again, there are certain situations where I would advocate. What, what I think the most important thing is don't have any hard rules. Like I refuse to lock someone well, what if the situation calls for that? Or I refuse to not have someone, you know, in two of my three, you should always be open to the possibility that this is a unique week. Uh, I think if you have rigid rules where I, I can't have more than 20 players in my player pool, no matter what, well, now you're shutting off some options and there could be a rare chance where that is needed for, for various reasons. 
there are different structures of tournaments in terms of DraftKings, but also for the PGA Tour. I talked about this very briefly. Some, some are no-cut events with 30 players, no-cut events with 60 players, cut events with 156 players in them. Do you see, I mean, maybe the opportunities are different and it's very much week-dependent, Ben, but are there weeks where you would play more or weeks where you play less? Because I always feel far more comfortable in tournaments that have cuts. Same. Uh, I don't know if, and that's where analyzing your data bears it out doesn't mean that your ROI is going to reflect that, but there are absolutely weeks where I say, for some reason, I seem to get this course. I seem to evaluate it better. And other weeks where I say, this is just not my team Zurich classic is not, or the match play. No matter what I do, I will never get the match play right. Even though I understand the format, maybe you rein it back or, or push it up a little more. You just have to find that out for yourself. There are different formats. Not every week is exactly the same. And you've kind of hit on it, Tambo, where the weeks where people don't care and there's far less content probably provide the best leverage opportunities. I think so. I think it's actually funny to, you know, kind of Ben's point that he just made there. I agree with him. It's just like some of the weeks people go hardest are like, oh, this is Masters week. There's all these Millie makers, which are by far the worst EV structures, everything. It's fun. But I'm saying people save their bankroll up to go all in that. People playing seriously, I'm talking about, that play for that week and put 12, 15,000 in play there. But on a week like the Zurich Classic, I'm not saying it's the be all end. I'll just give you an example where that was a week where there was no content, much lazier lineups, way more congested ownership, which pushing your 5%, 20% example from earlier on basically the same team to like 2%, 20%. It's like 10 to one that you're getting on that and where you can try and find these leverage opportunities. I'll tend to go in further on those weeks. And then to Ben's point on the research, and that's why I do the analytics and go back and see what I'm good at. Uh, I do well at the US Open and the Memorial. Uh, two very heavy, hard courses, hard too. courses, tee to green tracks, oh, t softer pricing usually, but tougher fields in general because of that. So like that's where I won't necessarily push the edge, but I feel very comfortable going into those weeks before they even get started. All right. I think we've covered basically what we need to cover. Can you think of anything else, Tambo, that we didn't hit on here? We, we talked about a lot. If I want to give a final point, it would just be, for me, it was the bankroll management. If, if you, there's a reason there's some people like, you know, still playing the game, myself, Ben, others, plenty of others in the industry that are still in the game that have been doing it for four or five years, putting real money in behind our takes and going out and actually doing this stuff, even while doing the content versus some that win the money, then they're into the 555 and then they're, you know, 10 lineups in that. Then they're, oh, Thunderdome's coming back around or lately it's been the Mega Millies. They've got three or four in that and all the money's gone all of a sudden and they are back to square one and it's hard to win these tournaments. So if you're not putting yourself in that position often enough or having those opportunities, you've left yourself with no more powder to play with and that could put you out of the game pretty quick yeah ben you've been a high stakes player on DraftKings for a long time and i think that there is something to be said about sustainability within that ecosystem how many guys have you seen come into that space make a huge impact win a ton of money and then they're never heard from again six months later and it's not because they took their money and cashed out it's because they have no money left it happens all the time for sure and i think you have to figure that out. There's definitely been times for me where I said, I, I need to rein it back for a little bit. I need to figure out what's going on. I would love to play five entries in this mega millions, but I, I really shouldn't be doing that because it could really stunt my growth uh, long-term in some of these tournaments. So uh, it's definitely not for me, at least uh, an everyday thing. I pick my spots uh, and whatnot. So, but you see it all the time. I can think of a laundry list of names came in, went on a crazy hot run, probably thought they, they've solved it, and now 
uh, not so much. It, it can turn very quickly. Well, I think that's really important too, because there are times, obviously this is, a, it is an ecosystem, especially with strata. Like think about, like I first started doing DraftKings pick shows, I think in 2014 mm -hmm. for fantasy golf. I think I won every week in 2014 because people legitimately didn't know who the players below $9,000 were. That was a big advantage for me, just knowing who was in the field and knowing who Tyrone Von Asswagen was. Two years later, everyone knew who that was. I was losing all the time, but I hadn't amended my strategy whatsoever. Then how often do you have to take a look at it and be like, oh, this is different now. This is different now. People are now doing this, so I need to do this. I feel like that's a huge part of it. Oh, it's a chess match. There's no doubt. Even a couple years ago, guy with two or three miscuts in a row, no matter what, he would be low-owned. Now you see you see guys still being chalk if they're big names and they've got a string of miscuts uh, in their recent form. People have evolved their understanding how high variance PGA golf is. And with that, you have to be one step ahead. You have to find things that the field isn't doing. You have to lean on tools that are helping you, you know, consolidate and make it more efficient because uh, it's no doubt that it gets tougher and tougher each and every year. Is that what you find in your notes too, Tambo? Like when you're doing your analysis, being like, huh. That's kind of strange because I feel like this, I don't think it's a revelation for you that trying to target these low content weeks with lazy lineups, like you said, I don't think that's new. That's obviously something you've discovered in your research. Yeah, big time. And like I said, it comes down to what I was talking about with this. If, you're, if you want to play at a high level, you have to be obsessed. If you're not digging into this, if you don't like the idea of Sunday night where your you know, wife goes to bed, if you're a family man or something like that, now it's time to go dig in to the lineups from the past week and find out what others did and top successful players have done and what you could have done different or where you you differed maybe you do it on thursday after that information comes out i don't know but for me staying to in tune is key it's what's helped me all the way through and why i think i still continue to have success ben raza you can find him at awesomeo.com ben can you provide some detail on what goes on at awesomeo uh promo codes and anything like that if people are curious about checking it out yeah of course absolutely so obviously like all of us you know we have uh tools and content to help just if you are you know if you're not a full-time player you work a job but you like to put in some lineups you know we can make it so it's simple and easy we have tools that help single entry players we have tools that help 150 players so if you are interested we obviously have the community just come check us out awesomeo.com you can go slash promos find the best deals if you want to sign up for the week give us a shout we'd love to have you as part of the team Tambo is over at runpuresports.com who do free showdown shows on the Mayo Media Network. So remember to subscribe. And he hosts the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast, both on the audio and on the Mayo Media Network video network as well. But what do you got for promo codes over at RunPure? Yeah, RunPure, you can use it's tied to the show that you just talked about, the Fantasy Golf Degenerates. Promo code over at RunPureSports.com is DGEN50, D-E-G-E-N-5-0. Get yourself 50% off the first month. It's all sports, one price. We've got a lot of things going on right now. NBA, you know, UFC, baseball, of course, the golf every week. And Wednesday nights, just to tie it in, because we do the free Thursday show for Showdown, the free Friday show for Showdown on the Mayo Media Network. But the Wednesday night premium show on RunPure Sports, myself, Big T and his uncle, Uncle T. But that's where we go through these exposures, these optimizer rules. What are others doing in the field this week? Breaking it down and separating that stuff where we can try and find our edge for the week. And typically it helps us find the top of the leaderboard. So I suggest you sign up there. All right. Highly recommend both sites. I also recommend with my personal.
personal endorsement, fantasynational.com slash Mayo. Get yourself 20% off. You have all the research tools that you're going to need if you really want to dig into this. You can generate lineups, use the simulator, but you can make your own rankings, research the course, and then try to find the players tailored to that course and then set your exposures over there as well. So fantasynational.com slash Mayo. Of course, I have golf shows Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday during golf season, both up on the Mayo Media Network video network and the podcast network, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever it may be. You can find the Pat Mayo Experience, so I highly recommend you go do that. Smash the like to the episode in the comment section. Give me your best tips for DraftKings Golf to help out everyone who's coming to this video, okay? I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!